0: Hello Redemption Hill family and friends, glad you are with us today. We are beginning the sixth and final message in our series over the book of Ephesians today. As we approach the end of this book, what I hope is becoming pretty apparent to all of us in this book is the clarity at which Paul speaks to us about how the gospel of Jesus changes everything in our lives. Not only does it give us a brand new identity in Christ, it also reaches into every aspect of our life and changes how we do things and how we see things. The gospel, therefore, confronts all parts of our life, even maybe some areas that we didn't quite expect in the beginning. As Paul puts it in chapter 4 of Ephesians, uh, the way that the gospel confronts our life is it urges us to be followers of Christ to live a life worthy of the call which we have been received. Uh, It it urges us to, in this new life, model the gospel in our life after we have accepted it. It would be awkward to kind of accept this gospel as a means of salvation uh, gladly. Yes, I'll receive the gospel to to save me, but then kind of reject it or keep it at a distance afterwards when it comes to uh, kind of the, the everyday aspects of our life and how we live. Paul has been showing us in these texts, week after week after week, how the gospel not only gives us a brand new way of life, but it, but then it reaches into and changes life. It, it says this, okay, we need to imitate Christ as we live. That's the gospel reaching into our life after salvation. It calls us to walk in love with one another. Not this ethereal love, but actual love. Love the people around you. It calls us to humbly submit ourselves to the leading of the Holy Spirit, and it calls us to also submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. This is how the gospel reaches in. And this submission out of reverence to Christ is what we looked at in the text that we covered in our sermon last week when Paul spoke into marriage and how the gospel confronts marriage and the home and the way that we think of things. Often out of that text, the focus gets put only on the words, wives submit to your husbands because that's you know, kind of a, a polarizing subject to, to deal with. But the incredibly big theme that Paul is, is really wanting us to wrestle with in that text is how we use power. Paul says that the gospel confronts a husband so that they don't just bend the knee one time in their life when they when they propose as if the only time they, they make themselves low and submit is, is when they're asking for a yes with the ring. But as my friend Pastor Mark says, the gospel demands that the entire life be lived in marriage as one where the husband is continually getting down and serving and loving his wife, not posturing up with power, not wielding power heavily or like a tyrant, but lovingly submitting himself and going down to care for his wife and not raise himself harshly over her. This pattern would have, been, would have been mind-blowing that Paul was calling them to and us to back then. Wives, see this beautiful portrayal lived out by your husband trying to follow Jesus, and when he does that, let him lead and let him shepherd you. Paul is showing us that the gospel speaks into power, right? It speaks truth to power by changing all things. If we find ourselves in a position without power in life, if we don't feel very significant or powerful in life, the gospel speaks into that. If we find ourselves in a position of power, when we're in authority over many people, the gospel also speaks into that. This is going to be the way Paul addresses it. No matter what station of life, no matter where you are at, no matter how much power you lack or how much power you have, the gospel will speak into you how you wield that power or that lack thereof. The gospel speaks into all things, all power, all stations, all seasons, all matters of life. This week we will look at chapter 6 verses 1 through 9. And we're going to see a couple more things about how the gospel speaks into things that we will deal with in life. The, the text says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's a bond servant or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. This is the word of the Lord. Paul, with these verses, is going to be speaking about how the gospel informs how things happen in kind of large bucket terms in our homes, whether we're a child or a parent, and also how it informs our, our vocation. That's how we'll hear it in our, in our current world, whether we are an employee or we are in a position of power as an employer. And, and we'll kind of start with the home here. Paul addresses the children first. Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor them, honor your father and your mother as well, that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. Paul kind of points to two main reasons at the beginning that, that children should obey and respect their parents. And the first is just kind of an a, appeal to, to natural law because because it's the right thing to do. It's the way things are. No matter what culture you're in, this is pretty much a universally accepted truth. It's expected that children should obey their parents. It's the right thing. In the main times when you see a family where the kids aren't doing this, it actually isn't probably the kid's fault. It's probably the parent's fault for spoiling the kid's for setting up a reversed family dynamic where where the kids are not under authority, but they get all of the power and control, but they're not old enough or wise enough to know what to do with that. So they kind of act out and lash out against their parents, and they'll further do that later on with any type of authority figure over them. It's the right thing to do, he says. And, And then in the second reason, he goes to this, respect and obey your parents because it's a divine law. Right? The 5th of the 10th commandments literally says honor your father and your mother. Right? The, the 10 commandments early on in the Old Testament, 10 things. Honor your father and your mother. Respect them. V- value them is what the original language would say here. While we are younger, uh, this is knowing that our parents are meant to show us how to live in and be under authority. They, they teach us how to do that rightly. Yes, parents will do that at varying levels of success or intentionality, but we as children should value that this is what the parents were at least shooting for, to teach us to live inside of a system of authority, therefore later letting us understand what it looks like to live under the authority of God. When we are older, this text speaks loudly to us also. Right? This text doesn't just involve children when, when you're young and live under the roof of your parents. While adulthood means your obeying of your parents is going to look a whole lot different than it did when you were, you were six or seven, this text still calls all of us to honor our parents, to value them rightly, regardless of how may, maybe we thought they did in life, we are to honor them. You may say, well, I, I don't know what to do with that. I never met my parents or, or they, they just hurt me and treated me awfully or, or or my parents never led me or they never made time for me and they never actually cared for me or my, my parents really acted like I was baggage and, and they kind of kicked me to the side when I got out or out in their way. Any of those cases that happen are, are difficult and and this text is not calling you to pretend that your parents did great if they did a terrible job. Honor doesn't mean that you need to lie about how your parents messed up. It may just mean to honor them might be to forgive them, to let go of your anger, to honor them rightly, maybe uh, just to go like, hey, I'm not going to pretend that you had a perfect resume with me, but I'm going to let go of my anger so I don't quite go nuclear when I hear your name or think of you. This might be the only way to honor them, but it's still a needed step. One of the habits that's become commonplace in our culture is for uh, children to to identify and talk about often all the ways that their parents messed them up. Right? As if we're continually memorializing all of their failures. So right, we get we get old, we know a couple things, we get out of the house, and then we begin to kind of get in these circles and and constantly, well, my parents did this and they did this, and, and we kind of just rehash all of these things that our parents did on this continual cycle all the time and we have to understand that's probably, not, that's probably not honoring them rightly. And it's probably not valuing them either. A pastor friend of mine pointed out this. It's not that you need to lie about how your parents did, but if you are kind of rehashing with other people more often your parents' failures than you're praying for them to receive transformation, there's probably a problem in you and, and, and maybe not just them. Right? We need to make sure that we're not always condemning them and never praying for them. Again, don't sanitize the record that your parents have over you just to honor them. But the gospel of grace that saved you while you fell short, while, that saved you while you messed up will call you to kind of care for and pray for them to kind of receive that same grace and mercy. If you struggle with that, if you're you're constantly reliving the way that your parents kind of fell short, can can I tell you too, if you would engage in the cycle of praying for them regularly that God would change their heart, it would probably change the level of bitterness that you hold towards them. The other big ways that parents are not honored in our culture, and it happens all over right now, is parents are completely forgotten about and cast aside. It's not uncommon to see parents as they age and get older, to to see them uh, neglected and not cared for or taken cared for. As if kids begin to think as they get adults and they they become the the important people, as if they think that their parents are are expired goods and, and they kind of had their time. You see this through selfishness with them towards time selfishness with care or financial support or or opening the home to them you see this it starts with just never calling them or not wanting to talk to them or never going to see them and, and then later it's it's complete neglect when when they need you and you just kind of no nah, no nah, I, I i don't have time for that to see a gospel that takes us in when we're lost and broken and simultaneously treats our parents as if they are broken and cast them aside is not honoring them. And it's not remembering the gospel and how we treat other people as well. The gospel confronts and demands that we show love to our parents. Right? They, they did their best. and We love and care for them. And we honor them. And we don't harbor anger towards them. And, and if their hearts are in difficult and hard spots, we pray for them. Paul says this is a commandment with a promise. This is a kind of a proverb. In general, when you obey your parents as kids and honor them through life, it goes well. Your relationship with them is better. Uh, Your your lives are are better. Your future home and and your children and your relationship with your children just kind of tends to be better when you incorporate obedience and honor with your parents. It, It trickles down into your future life and family and tends to To make things better. Then Paul moves to address the parents. The word in the the text says fathers, but the original language says that's not right. He's actually addressing both parents, mother and father. Paul says this, and, and watch the intentionality of the words that he uses here. Parents, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. His words are, are brief, but yet they're so pointed and, and they cover just a, a large area here. The, the constant debate that, that we can tend to see that rages in the blog lands and, and, and in a lot of people's gossip and on social media, and you find tons of books and articles written about it, is, is how do you parent your children, right? Parenting style. Do you have rules or no rules? Structure or, or freedom? Uh, spanking or or positive reinforcement, cry it out or or, or attachment parenting. There there are a million different ways to kind of see how we do these things. And and people tend to kind of uh, tout their way of parenting as the gospel. And what we need to hear is, is ways like that are not the gospel, but Paul will show us here how the gospel does change how you parent. Parents, ones who hold the power in the family, right? You're in charge, Don't provoke your kids to anger. While they're under your authority, don't provoke them to anger. This is a straightforward call. Parents, be careful how you use your power. Be careful what you do with it. Yes, it's yours. How you use it is important, though. Don't do it in a way that makes it difficult for them to obey you. Don't provoke them to get angry. You may be wondering, okay, what exactly does it look like to provoke A child to anger. What does that mean? Well, one clear way that we wield power uh, that, that provokes our kids to anger is when we wield power harshly against our children. The general idea here is when a parent has little regard or they don't pay attention to the force of the power that they use. Right? They're not very careful. They have the power and they use the power, but, but maybe the, the intensity for how they use the power isn't always uh, very good. I'm not just speaking of spanking here. The way that this harsh use of power can also happen in looks. Right? I've been guilty of this one. Ever glare at your kid just for doing kid stuff? Ever use a tone that's just way too much, right? These are ways where we're we're harshly wielding our power. Have you ever had a day where where you just had a bad day and and you're kind of annoyed by the child uh, and and so you kind of maybe, maybe go too hard at them over something? We have to understand when we do that, our discipline feels more like hatred than direction to the child because the intensity of the authority that we're using is not merciful and it's not kind. Again, this is not a call to to never discipline your children, but it is a call to be very careful about how you discipline your children. Discipline them in a way that models the patience Christ has for you. Another way that we uh, probably provoke our kids to anger is being inconsistent with how you discipline your children. Again, this is one that me and Allison have struggled with ourselves. Have you ever had the situation this is what happens for us where right maybe it's about dinner time and you holler in from the other room hey go wash your hands right and and on this day that you ask them to do it, maybe you're distracted, maybe you're tired, maybe you're just not feeling like dealing with it. You're just, you're looking for the time that they go to bed and you just get to chill and you like, that's where your mind's at. So, so when they don't listen to you for five or 10 minutes and then they come in and they, and they, and they kind of maybe lied to you on whether they, they've washed their hands or not. You just kind of let it go. because like, whatever, man, I just, I just need to get through this day, right? Have you ever done that? And then two nights later, we, when the exact same scenario plays out, you holler in, hey, kids, wash up before dinner. And they, and they give the exact same kind of reaction to you as they did two nights before. But this day, you got a little more bravado and you lower the hammer on them, right? Red face yelling in there, I'm going to get you. You're going to be grounded from television. All of this stuff, it leaves them confused and frustrated because of our inconsistency. We literally cause them to get angry because we are called to be the adults who are consistent in the relationship and and we're not being consistent in that moment. This provokes them to get angry. Paul's warning us here, be careful how, how you wield your power. You have authority, yes. You have power, yes. But how you wield that matters. Be careful. You have a responsibility to use your power in such a way that also cares for the heart of your children. When you wield your power wrongly for too much time, it will cause your kids to rebel against you. They're going to get their own personality. They're going to get their own strong will. And one day when you keep using it wrongly, they're going to do everything they can to get out from underneath of it. When we use our power wrongly, we're also modeling a false gospel. In all things, we want to represent to our children the love and goodness of God to the best of our ability. When we wield our power wrongly, we're sharing false gospels with them. There are a ton more ways to provoke your kids to anger. We don't have enough time to go into all of those today. A really big one in our culture would just be ignoring them. Right? If you if you if you're on the phone or you're always doing something, it's always hey wait. wait. I, I got to do this first. That, that's a great way to provoke your kids to anger because they're going to subtly hear, Mommy and Daddy just don't really love me. I just annoy them. And then when it comes to time to discipline them or help them, they're, they're not going to be too inclined to listen. Then Paul speaks to the ones who maybe don't want to discipline their kids, right? There's always two paradigms, discipline and maybe the ones that don't want to discipline their kids. The parents who maybe just kind of want to relax and go with the flow and let the kids kind of figure things out. The parents who, who maybe don't correct or lead or guide their parents or their children very much. Paul says to them, okay, wake up. You're being absent with your power. Now, again, he's not just talking about rules or spanking here. To bring up your child in the discipline and instruction of the Lord is to actively model to to pursue Jesus in front of your kids and with them. You pursue Jesus and learn about him and take your family with you doing it. Wear proudly the title of pastor over your children because you view that as a gift and you will not give that away until they're adults. That's bringing them up in the instruction of the Lord. I, I will I will set boundaries and I will set rules, but I will also show you the Savior. I'm, I'm going to teach you how to how to thrive by submitting under under good and kind authority, like Jesus has taught me to do to Him. I'm going to help teach you to do so. So come with me. Paul also shows them um the the text also shows the gospel over and over and over uh our ways to show the gospel over and over and over to our kids while we parent is to just begin to speak about jesus that one may seem so basic but it's also just really hard for some people Seriously, ask your kids, what questions do you have about God? What questions do you have about about Jesus? Tell them about Jesus before they go to bed, when they wake up in the the morning, when you're in the car. Ask them different questions. Help them. Tell them what you're learning. Tell them what God is doing in, in your own heart. Teach them about the gospel working in you and kind of bring them into that process. Another huge one is if you want to bring your kids up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord, th- then begin to repent in front of your children. We all drop the ball. When you drop the ball and you do something wrong, do not give them the, the stale played out, you know, I'm sorry, but you, that's not an apology and that's not repenting. Actually repent in front of your children. Tell them, man, I, I sinned and that was wrong. and, and and my motivation for doing that was was wrong. And and pray with them too, God, about your sin, confessing your sin with them. Share the gospel with them in that moment because here's the beautiful part. Parents, when you repent in front of your kids and pray, God, I, I know I've done this and I've turned to this instead of you uh, and forgive me and help me trust you more, then you'd be able to speak to them the beauty of, hey, buddy, you know, I did this and, and this is wrong and, and this is why grace is good because even though I've done that, God still loves me and, and cares for me and there's still mercy uh, for, for me but this is why he had to go to the cross because I still mess up just like you're gonna mess up but here's the good news when you mess up you can do what I did and you can receive more mercy and grace this is bringing your kids up in the instruction of the Lord as you live out your faith and bring your kids with you as you do it the notion that parents need to lie to their kids by pretending to be perfect is is the best way to screw up their faith than you could possibly do Right? When you refuse to be honest with your kids about your struggles, it's a surefire way to confuse them about the gospel and, and, and kind of provoke them to anger because you're setting up this posture of look at mommy and daddy who's perfect, but then the kid knows, but I'm not perfect. And it really makes it difficult that, for them to receive the gospel and they begin to learn to fake things and lie so they can be just like mommy and daddy. Paul tells us, walk out faith with your kids. Teach them the instruction of the Lord. Do not be a dictator with your power and harshly wield it. And also don't be an absentee parent who refuses to discipline and refuses to instruct. Step in, intentionally use your power like Jesus. Jesus is a loving, kind presence who will lead us and guide us. He will not crush you, but he will discipline you if you need it. This is what parenting should be. This is what the gospel calls us to do. Model this type of home. Then we shift out of the home to the work environment. Then comes the talk of bond servants or slaves uh, and masters that Paul begins addressing. If you're asking, and this just kind of has to be addressed, if you're going, well, wait a minute, is Paul or the Bible advocating? Are they pro-slavery? To answer that, we need to understand really the, the economy and the time back then. In the ancient world, a high percentage of the population were slaves. It was estimated that in Rome or under the Roman Empire, there were six Hundred million slaves. Ra- wrap your mind around six hundred million. They constituted the vast the, mass- the vast majority of the workforce. Slaves included domestic servants, manual laborers, and educated people. You could have slaves who were doctors, teachers, and administrators in their Culture. All of this is to say their system for slavery is maybe not the exact same thing that we think of when we think of slavery. Yes, there were definitely slaves who were traded like property and they were they were they were beaten and abused and they were dehumanized. Yes, this definitely happened, but there are also slaves that resembled more of what we consider employees, and people kind of they, they, they kind of signed up to be slaves for different reasons. No matter what type of slavery situation a person might have found themselves in whether it was through an awful situation like war or purchase or something like that, or they voluntarily submitted themselves to slavery to pay off a debt or kind of increase their station in life, no no matter how they got there, slavery was all over. Which means Paul addressing slavery isn't the stamp of approval to be pro-slavery back then. Paul was saying, okay, this system exists all over, Uh, One third of the population of Ephesus were slaves. So in essence, Paul is contextualizing the gospel as he speaks about slavery. Slavery is all over. So he's beginning to just go, okay, this is how the gospel speaks into a thing that's everywhere all over the place. Another major thing to keep in mind of why slavery for them was different than what we would think of is slavery for them was not a race thing. It was not a color of skin thing. Any color of skin uh, from, from almost anywhere could be uh, a slave. And we need to address that now so we don't kind of shut off and miss really what Paul wants to tell us in the text. Paul begins by addressing the bond, slur, the bond servant, what we will call or hear as employee in, in, our modern te- or in our modern world. He says, obey your masters or bosses with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ not by way of eye service or as people pleasers, but as slaves to Christ Jesus himself, doing good from your heart, rendering your service as if it were to God and not to man, because it is God who sees and will, uh, will, will reward in the end anyway. What is happening here is Paul is addressing those under authority in, in, in work, whether it's slave or employee, those who are under authority That's why we should hear employees here and and not miss the point. Paul says, okay, when, when you do your work, when you're an employee, when you're under authority, don't insincerely do your work. Don't mail it in, so to speak. Instead, put your effort into what you do as if Jesus is the boss at your vocation. What's he speaking to? We're speaking to the habit of some who are under authority, who are under power, and they try and take back power in their workplace. They kind of try and get back the man by by doing the least amount possible wherever they can to kind of get them back for, for being over them, right? Maybe the employee slacks off on company time just to kind of get them. Right, all to take back power because maybe they feel like the boss is unjust over them, and they and they deserve more. So it's kind of their power grab, uh, being under authority, is they begin to do less than optimal work to to kind of be hostile against the employer. Paul says, "Don't do that. Work as if Jesus is your boss instead." this process of taking back power uh, can, can lead to a person working really, really hard when, when, the, when the master or boss is around. And then when the boss isn't looking, you just kind of kick back and chill and do whatever you want. Paul says, don't do that either. W- work well, work hard. There are countless ways that workers rebel against their bosses or masters, all in an an attempt to feel powerful or in charge. It's like an adult temper tantrum to try and kind of get control back over the situation. This is how gossip starts in a work environment. Right. This is how people start talking horribly and horrifically about their boss and how incompetent and how uh, ridiculous they are. Right. This this all happens because someone is under power and they feel like the person over the shouldn't have power. And they, and they kind of want to take it back. This gossip happens this way. This is also how theft happens in the workplace right? A person feels entitled, right? I'm under authority, but my authority isn't good. And I, I deserve more and I should have more. So I'm just going to take it, right? So, so maybe we take money or maybe we take goods or maybe we just steal time by, by, by not putting in what we tell them we're putting in. And this is a way that we do work with an insincere heart. Paul says, don't do that. Reverse that. Work hard even if it's for your earthly boss, because your heavenly boss is not a tyrant and he sees what you do and he will reward you. There's nothing that goes unseen. God will see your work. He'll see your diligence. He'll see your sincerity. Even if you're in a rough spot, even if you're under a harsh boss, work hard and understand that God sees what you're doing. Then Paul addresses the masters. This would also be bosses or the people in charge. Whether you are a master of 50 slaves back then or whether you're an employee of 5, 10, 50 employees now, Paul says, treat those under your authority the way that you want God in heaven to treat you. Essentially, model the authority you want to be under and you want to see. Model that. He says, stop threatening the people under you. Stop doing it. Stop wielding your power in a harsh fashion over the people who work for you. Paul is pointing into the, the wrong and sinful ways the world uses power. Ways that treat people as if they are less than, than human and as if they don't matter. Ways that forget that, that workers have hearts and, and souls and, and emotions and that those hearts should be cared for, not crushed. What Paul says at the end is interesting. He says, knowing he who is master and yours will not show any partiality. What he's getting at is when you threaten other people. When you're in charge and you're heavy handed with your authority, you are valuing yourself over those people. Basically, you're saying, well, because I'm more valuable and more important, I get to treat you as if you're less valuable with this heavy hand. Paul is saying, okay, when you make those value judgments about people's worth and that's how you justify treating them poorly, I I need you to remember that God doesn't make those same value judgments and one day he's going to judge you too. So be really, really careful. Stop treating people as if they are less than human. There's a call here to use your power carefully and intentionally. Don't smash other people. Show them the love of God through your leading and authority. Show them the grace and mercy of Jesus, the way that Jesus had the power and and was willing to lay it down or love the people around him. Use your power that way. Power is a gift and a responsibility. Authority is a gift and a responsibility. Never forget that and model your Savior with it. Remember the call prior, imitate God. With your authority, you're still called to imitate God, not pretend that you are God. If we were to cut to the heart of the issue and all of this, Paul is saying, be careful. Be careful about how you seek out and use your power or lack thereof in life. Children, you're born with very little power, just, just how it works. So respect the authority over you. Don't lash out against it, don't, don't, don't kind of rebel because you think it's unfair. Learn, obey, and honor. And see if it doesn't go well for you that way. See if it doesn't prove to be good. In the same way, workers, even when you feel small or mistreated in life, don't rebel against those over you by doing bad work or being insincere. Instead, be content to work as if God is your boss and know that he sees every effort that you make and you'll be rewarded one day for what you've done. Then parents, you have the power in your home. This is the way that families are. Don't be a harsh boss though. Don't be one who crushes your children through poor leadership. Don't be overly heavy handed taking things out on your kids and lashing out on your kids. But instead, guide your kids. Intentionally take the job of parenting on to teach your kids about God. Model the Savior. Model your faith. Love them. Yes, discipline them. Do it fairly and teach them about God and his discipline when you do it. And bosses, be careful about how you treat people underneath of you. Those people are human too. You may have the power, but you are not more valuable or better than them. So don't flex on them or throw your weight around or feel strong. Don't take advantage of them or hurt them. Worldly bosses don't care about their people, so they'll kind of uh, they'll gladly hurt them or mistreat them if it makes their bottom dollar go up. The gospel says we don't do that because every person has the Imago Day. We don't trade the Imago Dei for, for for money. Be careful how you treat other people. Love them. Don't take advantage of them. Model the greatest authority of all, the Father above us. Work to create an environment around that models what you want to see. Work to create an environment that that models redemption and, and, and kindness and love and family. Be careful about how you use your power or your lack thereof. What begins to show itself in this text is, is often we have a hard time being content or feeling okay in life. It's difficult for us to, 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 with the power we have, just kind of be okay. It's difficult for us to feel fully secure in Jesus's power and not our own. And when this happens, we can begin to try and lash out if we feel less powerful and Jesus isn't our significance. We'll begin to lash out or, or rebel in order to try and make ourselves more powerful or feel better. And Paul says when we have too much power and we don't let Jesus be our significance, we can, we can harshly use it as, as well. The call in this text is be careful with your power or lack thereof. Learn to rest in the power of Jesus so that you don't feel, uh, you don't feel insignificant when you have too little power and, and you don't become a dictator when you do have power. Rest in the power of Jesus instead and then be consistent with your power. This kind of hearkens us to go back to chapter 5. How in the world do we do this? Well, in order to be content with the power of Jesus, we're going to need the Holy Spirit to lead us. It's the only way to get there. Holy Spirit, help me. Help me see Jesus more. Help me see his goodness. Let me see his ways. Let me see his grace and mercy and what he has done for me. You will not be able to get there on your own. That's why Paul says, be led by the Spirit. Let the spirit lead you, let him guide you so that you can be comfortable and you can be sustained and you can rest in the finished work of Jesus and the power of Jesus and and not be so upset about your lack thereof and not be so cruel maybe in the way that you wield power if you have it. The text shows us all stations, all seasons, all aspects of life the gospel filters into and it confronts and it changes how we do things. Church, I hope that we've seen that, whether it be marriage, how we care for people, how we submit to one another in the church or the body of Christ, how we do parenting or being a child or how we work. There is literally nothing that is off limits to the gospel. And that's not bad news and that's not law. It's this continual thing that wants to transform our lives where every single nook and cranny of our lives and and our hearts gets transformed to look more like and operate in the kingdom of God. I pray that the Holy Spirit would be able to lead us through this. And, and maybe in your parenting or how you've honored your, your parents yourself or how you've worked or treated other people, maybe there's some, some work that needs to be done there. I pray that after this message, you would pray, ask God, hey, will you help me? Spirit, will you lead me better in those areas so that the, God, the gospel can, can fully transform the way I do that part of life? that's the hope for us that we would be transformed and redeemed people where the gospel would saturate all things we'll pray uh today and there'll be a worship guide after Uh, i hope that you're spending some time in that and i hope you know we also cannot wait to be able to be back with you hopefully that'll be happening uh, around august so let's pray god thank you for this text i pray that you help us spirit we need you for any area of life that we are kind of keeping the gospel out of, would you have permission to come in and confront and change that in us? We need your work. We need your transformation. We need your goodness. Gospel come and change all aspects. May your kingdom become more present in the everyday aspects of life and how we see uh, Jesus and the gospel through those things. We love you. Jesus, thank you for your patience with us and your goodness and your sacrifice. Holy Spirit, come here and change and transform. church can't wait to see you